if you've got uh, kids with you today, I think Melissa is going to be, where are you going to? Are you going to go back there? Oh, she's going to go out this side door. You can just send them over to the side. They'll go with her. Um, I'm excited about things that are happening uh, in our church. We are, we're seeing people, we've got newlywed couples with us today. It's our newest newlyweds are with us, um, Matt and, and uh, Amy and Faith and Nathan. So it's exciting. Um, you guys are waiting a long time to get married. No, not newlyweds, newly engaged, I'm sorry. You're, you're waiting a long time to get married. I don't know what's going on here. I don't have a clue. Um, but uh, we, we've got, uh, there, there's, there's just good stuff happening. We're seeing, we're seeing people grow. We're seeing people connect. One of the things that we are doing, and I'm, we're going to be emphasizing over the next few weeks, is our Bible memory stuff that, that's been going on. Um, there's a group of guys that's been getting together for... Man, a long time. Four months, several, several weeks. Um, and they have been, we have been working towards memorizing the book of Philippians. And one of the things that we're going to be doing in the weeks to come is um, starting a Bible study based out of the book of Philippians. We've, we've been memorizing it, working towards it. Uh, one of the things we'll begin is really digging into what we've memorized and really getting a grasp of it. And so if you're not involved in a Bible study, um, you're welcome to come to that. But um, the, the, um, today, what we're going to do... Wow. Sorry. Do I need to stand still? <clears throat> um, one of the things we're going to be doing today, is, what I want to emphasize today is one of the guys that's been coming and memorizing with us is named Eric Olson. Eric, if you'll come on up here. Um, he attends another church. We're, we've not limited this to our, just our church. We're excited that other people from around the city come and, and are a part of this. And Eric has been memorizing with us the whole time, and so he has just about got the whole book memorized. But today he's going to recite for you Philippians chapter 2. I'll just roll into it. This is uh, Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any confirmation, any comfort excuse me, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do all things, do nothing. Thank you. That's my daughter. She just corrected me. <laughs> do nothing from rivalry and conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my absence, but much more in my presence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be blameless and innocent at the day of Christ. Children of God, so that you may be blameless, let me start that one over, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, so that at the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, holding fast to the word of life. I mixed those two. Help me out, help me out, Alexander. Oh, I, I lost you. Oh, yeah, 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 I got it. There you go. Without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that at the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Um, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I will be glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. I was a son with a father. He served with me in the gospel. I hope... Therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Very good. Amazing. That's great. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. That's uh, hours and hours and hours of work right there. So um, thanks, Eric, for doing that for us. Um, we are nearly done with that. So next week we'll have Philippians 3 recited, and, and we'll em emphasize this. Uh, and then the week after we'll... We'll look at Philippians 4. So anyway, I would encourage you, uh, just my own uh, testimony to go with this. It has revolutionized my walk with the Lord. Um, it's changed the way I have uh, approached my own private Bible reading. I, I used to read through the Bible in a year, um, and then I felt like, man, I have did that several times, and I felt like I was missing things, so I began to read through the Bible uh, a book of the Bible over and over and over and over and just not really work towards memorizing it, but just read it over and over and try to get as much out of it as I could. Uh, and then we started this. I was never a memory person either. But we started this uh, towards the beginning of the right after the beginning of the year. And, uh, man, it has made a difference. Every, every week, maybe one or two 
that, that this didn't happen, uh, and it was more about me than the word, but every week, almost without fail, something comes up, and a verse that I've been working on memorizing is used and applied in my life. And so it has, I, I honestly can tell you that it has made me a stronger uh, follower, strengthened my faith, and I know that these guys would agree. Uh, so uh, Wednesday nights, it's not too late to get involved. We've still got at least 12 weeks in it. So uh, we've got people at all stages of, of memory. So uh, ladies, um, you're not excluded. There's a Wednesday night group that's working on Ephesians and then I know that there's a group uh, of ladies that's working on Philippians on Thursday night. So if you're interested in that, you are very welcome to be there. Okay, well, let's pray real quick, and then we'll just jump into the Word um, and see what the Lord has for us today. Father, we do thank you that you have given us your Word, that you enable us to learn, that you give us insight, that through your Spirit you lead us into truth. I pray, God, today that as we've seen uh, the fruits of our labor, as Eric has, uh, has recited the verses that he's worked towards, God, I pray that you would just uh, bless that and, and help us have a desire to know your word more, to, to know it more deeply, to, to have a greater intimacy with it, not so that we can just have knowledge, but that we can recognize your work in us and that we might be used of you, that we might be ready and equipped to, to, to say, here am I, send me. And that as we go, that we would be used mightily. God, I pray today that as we work through the passage of Scripture that you have for us, that you would just uh, help us to, to apply it, bring application, uh, help us to make it practical. And, and God, I pray that you would use me to help, help me move out of the way, uh, that I might just be a vessel that you would speak, speak through and that you would bring your truth through. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're jumping back into Acts this week. If you got your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 6. Um, today's message is going to be fairly, fairly straightforward, very applicable, very relevant, I think, to our lives. Um, uh, you know, there's some lofty ideas that can be presented, but I think that some of the pr principles that will be applied, it will be something that just meets us right where the rubber meets the road. Um, diversions are something that, I think many of us appreciate at times <clears throat> diversions, things that kind of just help us take our minds off of the stresses of life, things that just help us kind of get a, get a chance to rest and get things off our mind. I, I think those are nice, um, like a vacation. To, to be able to go and just have a vacation for a week, you know, it, it's a nice thing, but we always know that at some point we've got to get our focus back, we've got to get things back in, in perspective, and we've got to get back to work. Even in, a, even in a world that's as fast-paced and as technologically as advanced as ours is, we still deal with things, though, that, that move from being diversions, something that just helps us relax for a little bit, to things that are very distracting. In fact, they pull us towards a, a wrong focus uh, over and over. Email is a, is a great tool. It's, a, it's an amazing tool. I mean, we can communicate with one another just like that but it's very distracting. Texting for some people at Twitter and Facebook and getting all the, all the texts on your phone, it, it, it's awesome and it, it's great to be able to read these things and you know, I don't know where you sit and read your, read your stuff at. I, I know that some people like to use it as bathroom reading. I, you know, I don't know where you do your stuff at, but I know that it, it's a great tool. We can stay connected, we feel great, but at times it can be very distracting. Netflix is one of the toughest for me. 
I'm just going to be honest. It's totally changed the way that I do TV. I mean, it's totally, totally done the way, uh, totally changed the way I do entertainment. It, it's great. I, I, I don't watch any television on regular TV anymore. I can't stand commercials. I like just being able to zip through a series, you know. But man, it's dangerous because it can be also it can also be very distracting. To, and really, because man, it's right there and it's so available. And right now, my family's watching Prison Break and. Um, it's a pretty cool series so far, but it leaves you hanging at the end of every show. I got to know what happened. I, I want to know what's next, you know. And so you can see hours lost to Netflix and to whatever series you might be watching. If you're, if you're on Netflix, you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced this. You've, you've dealt with the temptation. The truth is, is that the disciples, the apostles in the early church dealt with something very similar. You may say, oh, well, Netflix and email, that's not that big of a deal. But the reality is, is that any distraction, anything that distracts us and takes our focus from the mission of God and distracts us and puts our focus somewhere else is a dangerous thing, even if it's a good thing. And today, as we jump into Acts chapter 6, we're going to see how the apostles dealt with with something that could have been a very big distraction. And maybe at some level, if they hadn't dealt with it wisely, if they hadn't followed the Spirit and and really listened to His teaching and His leading, could have very easily sidetracked the church at a very early and formidable stage. As the gospel had spread across Jerusalem, we've seen the churches. We've been in this book. We've seen great things happen. We've seen the church growing rapidly. We've seen the, the apostles doing amazing miracles, standing and preaching the gospel and people responding and and just people loving Jesus and being saved and their lives changed forever, connected to the body. This beautiful thing was happening. But we also saw some of the struggles that they dealt with. We saw the the persecution that they began to experience in the name of Christ. We saw the the sin still being an issue within the church and they had to deal with that with Ananias and Sapphira. And today the, the hits really keep coming because the struggle doesn't stop. The reality is, is that this mission of God that we've been given, this, this mission that God has given us to live in and to, to complete and to work in, it comes with trouble. It comes with sacrifice and it comes with struggle. It's not always going to be easy. But that doesn't mean that he's not blessing or that, that he's not at work. In fact, in these adversities, I think we'll see today that we are strengthened. The church is made stronger. The people are made stronger. And that eventually his glory shines out of it and because of it. Let's just read the first seven verses and then uh, we'll just see how it works out. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because of their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of, of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, as we read that, we see this distraction or this 
this, this struggle that they have to deal with. And as, as anything begins to experience rapid growth, yeah, I mean, it requires, it demands change. It requires people to adapt and deal with it. When I was still working at Worldwide, in fact, when I first had taken the position to um, manage the maintenance there and, and to oversee all of the functions of production, we were really small. The business was very slow because of the events of uh, 9-11, 2001. Aviation took a hard hit. And so when I walked in the first week of, of taking this job, there was about four mechanics, five mechanics looking back at me. Very few. It was a small shot. Before that, it had been hopping. I mean, there was 30 or 40 mechanics, and it had shrunk greatly because of all the, all the problems that had happened. Well, as I began my job, you know, and there wasn't very many people, but, but as time went by, it started to pick up. And it began to grow so fast that I couldn't, we couldn't keep up. But we couldn't say no to the work, because if we said no to the work, then we couldn't pay the bills. So we had to take whatever work we could get, and we had to do it with whatever resources we had. So it was a struggle. And, and really what happened was it demanded us to, to change the way we do things and the way we did things. And so it changed my management style. It changed there were several things that, that, that it affected and changed. Um, and we began to hire rapidly. And we didn't get to go through a formal interview process. And so the interview became a, hey, can you turn a wrench? Yes, I can. Okay, you got a job. And then for the next 90 days, you did an interview, and if it worked out, great. If it didn't, they went home. And so there was this big, you know, in in aviation maintenance, it's a pretty serious thing because you don't just want any, any old Joe off the street fixing your airplane. You know, I mean, it's a serious, serious deal. So we had to watch. We had to pay attention, but we had to do it on the fly. I became a firefighter in a sense. It was more about, hey, whatever, whatever big problem's happening right now, that's the one I've got to deal with, and all of these others that I normally would be proactive in have to wait because it began to manage me more than I was able to manage it. So a lot of things changed, and it demanded that. And as we were able to catch up, and as we were able to, to reestablish our employment, and, and we had mechanics, then we were able to change again. And it was a constant change as growth happened. And the more rapid it happens, the more demanding change is. A growing church demands change. I mean, we have changed over and over as we've done this, as we've seen different people come in the doors, as we've seen some come and some go. We've, we've had to demand change. And, and honestly, over the summer, there's some things I'm looking at it changing and, and reshaping and refocusing things like missional communities and things like that. The, you don't need to worry about that today, but it'll, it'll be coming. You'll hear about it. It's, the, it's the, what we've got to do. We've got to begin to, we've got to just deal with, with growth and deal with the changes, changes that are coming and, and occurring. It's just the way it is. And so that's what the apostles were dealing with. That, I mean, imagine... They had a church of about 120 that grew to 3,000 in one day, and a few days later was 5,000. And by this time, who knows how big it was? It was huge. I mean, and here they are, 12 apostles. You know, maybe, maybe the first 120 were leaders at different levels. Maybe they were helping in different ways. But the reality is, is that the weight of ministry, the weight of, of, of leading fell on these 12 men. And here they are. They've dealt with sin. They've seen God work in powerful ways. They've dealt with persecution. They've seen God work in powerful ways. And now, right in the midst of them, right in and among them, they deal with this struggle. Their own people standing up and saying, hey, we're not getting what we deserve. I'm not getting mine. And honestly, as Luke shares this, there's a couple of things that I think were distractions. 
were things that could have been even more distracting had they not dealt with it properly. First, the distraction, the first distraction I would point out would be the ones where, where the people were involved, the, the church was involved. I mean, consider this. In chapter 2 and chapter 4, you have a church that's connected. They're selling their goods. They're getting rid of their stuff to make sure that all the needs are met. They're bringing their stuff to the apostles. They're laying it there at their feet, and they're saying, you distribute it. You take care of it. You make sure needs are met. It's a beautiful work. This, this people that loved one another enough that they were making sure that others were cared for. Beautiful story. Beautiful example of, of what I think the church should be. But here's this, here, here's this new distraction. They're getting something I'm not. And we don't know. Uh, we, Luke doesn't give us enough information to know whether or not they were totally being completely shorted like the Hellenist Jews were just... The, the Jewish widows that were Hellenists, that they weren't receiving anything. We don't know. Maybe they were receiving less. Or maybe, just maybe, this possibility is, is that they weren't being shortchanged in any way, but because of a misapplied perspective or a misappropriated perspective, they were looking over and thinking that these other people were being treated better. See, we, we don't really know. But I, I think at any level, you know, you, you've seen these things happen. Some people are easier to minister to in the church. I mean, it's the truth. It, it, it just really is. Some, we have an affinity to a certain people. It's just the way we are. We don't necessarily intend to be that way, but it is, it's the truth about who we are. It's easier for us to deal with others that are more like us. And so it's very possible that, that these Hebrew Jewish widows were being taken care of better because the people that were doing the ministry, that were doing the work, were all Hebrew Jews. It's possible that they were all being taken care of just the same, but because someone just started talking about it, it seems like they're getting taken care of better. We're missing out when they really weren't. I mean, it, it's, it's bound to have happened in your life where you have looked at across the fence and looked at, across at someone else and said, oh, they're... they're they're so blessed or they're so fortunate. They've got it so good. They've got it made. They've got it figured out. I mean, look at how the Lord's taking care of them. He, he, he must love them more. I mean, surely you've sat in a place and thought that you just had it worse than everyone else. And we all do that kind of thing. It's easy for us to see our own struggles. It's easy for us to, to, to feel our own pain and carry the weight of our own cross and not recognize the cross that others are carrying. And to think that they've got it figured out or they've got it made or they're being taken care of better. See, it's very possible that there was really no problem except personal problems. What I think we can see in this is that selfishness and sin was driving it. You see, love, humility, concern for one another, ministry, that kind of thing connects people. It connects. When Christ said, love one another as I have loved you, when, he said, when, when Paul wrote in Philippians, you know, consider, your, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. When he said those things, he wasn't, he, he wasn't playing around thinking, oh, well, you just do this on Sunday. He meant this is the pattern of our life. Have this mind among yourselves. 
which is in Christ, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And see, the reality is, is that, that those things connect people. They bring people together. They unite them. And sin divides. And that's exactly what was happening. These people with these selfish motivations and selfish perspectives, and maybe they were being shorted. Maybe they weren't being taken care of as well as the others. Maybe they were totally missing out. Maybe they were being left hungry. But the way that they were doing it, the way that they were presenting it, was bringing division. It was dividing. And I'm not saying if you've got a need to, to stay quiet. No one can help if we don't know you have a need. I mean, we want to take care of one another. We need to take care of one another. But these people, they were being selfishly driven, and it was dividing the church. It had distracted the people in the church. And they were dividing along racial lines. I mean, it's very similar to what we do today. All over Springfield, there's churches that meet who won't work with other churches that meet because of secondary differences. One's Calvinist, one's Arminian. One dunks in baptism, one pours. One speaks in tongues, one doesn't. But we're all united in this love for Jesus Christ and this, this recognition of the essential truth that Jesus Christ came, died in our place for our sins, and, and rose again. But yet we can't even stand in front of Springfield as a united body because we divide along secondary beliefs. There's churches in Springfield that people recognize as rich churches. And that's where the rich people go. And so I'm going to go over here and be more with my socioeconomic class. We got black churches and white churches. Korean churches, Chinese churches. You know, some of that I understand because some of these people don't speak English. And they want to be somewhere where they can hear preaching and sing in their language. I, I, I get that. But in many cases, we never come together and unite in any way. And we divide. See, sin divides. Love, forgiveness, humility, that brings unity and connection. And what we see happening, Acts 2 and 4, we see this beautiful coming together of people from all different backgrounds. They're all living in Jerusalem. The gospel hasn't really surpassed the borders of Jerusalem yet. It, it, it's gone past, but the, the people aren't carrying the message out yet. But they're all living in Jerusalem. They have these diverse backgrounds. They're speaking different languages. The difference between a Hebrew and a Hellenist Jew was that a Hellenist would speak Greek and a Hebrew would speak Aramaic or Hebrew. Diverse people being brought together under the gospel, being reconnected. And that's the first distraction. These people had lost sight of the beauty of the gospel that brought them together in the first place. And they began to focus more heavily on their own need and what they thought they needed or, or what they thought they wanted. And then the disciples, the apostles, these leaders in the church. Here's these 12 men. They've got a job to do. They've got a big job to do. Thousands of people to lead. And here they come. Here come their people. Hey, they're, they're, they're not being treated right. We're, we're, they're being treated better than we are. We want what's ours. You need to do something about this. A distraction. Something that could have easily taken their focus and moved it away from where it was intended to be. 
So they get together. I, I don't think that it's a quick and easy decision. I mean, we see it happening pretty quick and easily in, in, in the scripture. Where I don't think we're seeing all the detail. They get together. They talk about it. They discuss it. This is what we're going to do. We can't give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. We can't give up the ministry of preaching and prayer to do the ministry of service is really what they're saying. And in doing that, in, in setting that up and, and, and making that distinction, they put, put together for us several principles that not only are relevant for us today as a church, but I think are relevant for us in our own lives. In doing that, they establish the importance of the pulpit ministry. We live in a culture that doesn't want to hear preaching. We deal uh, every week, every week without fail. There are people that either think you preach too long, or you didn't preach long enough, or you didn't do this right, or you didn't do that right. Well, there's people all over Springfield that don't, won't go to certain churches because they will preach to you. They will proclaim to you. They will tell you what the Bible says. They'd rather go to a church that feels comfortable and, and they'll discuss things like having your best now or, or, or you know, here's how to be a, a good parent or here's how to... Uh, I want to discuss those things. I want us to deal with those things. But more importantly, I want to be a proclaimer of truth and I want to come to you with, with, with Scripture and I want to proclaim the Scriptures. You see, we live in a generation that's pushing back on preaching. In fact, there's a whole movement to remove preaching, to get rid of it. Whether we like it or not, we need to be preached to. Sometimes we need to be preached at. The reality is we need preaching. What the apostles recognized as they looked at this problem is they, they, they saw this problem and they recognized, yeah, that's a need that needs to be met. They need to eat. Obviously, they need food. But as importantly, if not more importantly, they need us doing what we've been sent to do. They need us preaching and praying. You see, they emphasize the, the importance of the pulpit ministry or the preaching ministry. As the pulpit goes, so the church goes. If you've got a weak preacher, if you've got a weak message being preached, you're going to have weak people. It's the truth. You, you, you go into any church and you listen to the preaching and you will have an idea or understanding of, of the level of maturity of the people in the pews. It's the truth. It's important. It's necessary. And they recognized it. As they made this decision to, to pay attention to their, to their role, to their thing to do, they expanded the shared leadership and ministry of the people. It's so easy for us to want to be saviors of everyone. It's so easy for us to get this Jesus complex, like especially for people who are in small churches. I'm just going to tell you, it's very easy for me to think that i got to do it all for you. At some level, I can do a lot for you. I can make sure that, that, that I, 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 can, I can manage every little thing that this church does, honestly, I really could. Especially now that since I've, I've quit working full time, it's much easier. But the reality is, is that that's not right. 
I'm learning this all the time. I'm having to give things up all the time. Because the church was never meant to, to, to minister or do mission or move with one person leading. We see leadership expanded. I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced as many people are, that this is where the first deacon board was established. I mean, for most of us, our considering our, our understanding of a deacon board is kind of screwed up and, and misconstrued. Deacons are not people that sit in a room that wear stuffy suits and make decisions. They're servants of the church. That's what the word means. A deacon is a servant of the church. It's someone that oversees a ministry and makes sure that the work is getting done. I'm not convinced that that's necessarily what's happening here. There's a lot of people that are, and, and I'm not opposed to that view. I just, I'm, I'm not necessarily convinced that that's what's happening here. But I'm definitely convinced that what happens here is that the apostles look and they see the church is hurting. It's hurting because there's no, not enough shared leadership. There's not enough shared oversight and ministry going on among the people. You see, the job of the pastor is not to do all of the ministry of the church. The job of the pastors is to equip the body to do ministry within the church. Every member should be a minister. You have been given a gift, a, a spiritual gift. You have abilities that maybe you went to school for, or maybe it's just something you've always been able to do. But you know what? Those are God-given as well. When, when God called the Israelites out of Egypt, and he puts them in the desert, and he tells them to build the tabernacle, he gave them physical abilities to complete the jobs that they were given to do. The truth is, is that's true for each one of us. Some of you hammer nails better than someone else. Some of you, some of you are, are gatherers. You just naturally are attracted to people, and they're attracted to you, and they just come and hang out with you. Some of you are communicators. You're just good at it. You should be ministering with those gifts and abilities in the body. If you're not connected to a body, there's no way you can do it. And that demands us to be connected, to share the ministry, to live life together, to bless one another. I, I think we also see as they do this that they, are, um, that they are expanding the roles or establishing roles of service within the church. We definitely need the apostles, the preachers, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4. We need them. But we also need the servants that are spoken of elsewhere. We, we, we also need the people who are behind the scenes, who are, who are maybe not out in front as much, but as important, if not more important sometimes, than the person out in front. We need people to, as, as you walk in here today, we want you to feel welcome. We need people to stand out there and make sure that people feel welcome. That is important. We need people to make sure that the sound is right, that, that, that you can hear me and that, and that it's not hurting your ears and so the blood is dripping out. You know, I mean, we, we don't want that. We need people to do those things. We need people who are willing to teach children. At a level in a gospel-centered way that they can understand the truth as well. We need people to open up their homes because their gift is hospitality. To open up their homes and just invite others in to take it on themselves. To say, you know what, come over to my house and have dinner. We need that. 
We need people to find what, what strengths they have and what weaknesses they have and live in their strength and depend on others for their weakness. You see, the reality is, is that in, in, independence is a, is a praised, it, it, it's a trait, a personality trait that's praised today. We, we love independent people. But the truth is we were never created to be independent. In all of creation, the one thing that God said wasn't good was that the man was alone. Everything else was great. Everything else was as he intended it to be. Except that the man was alone. So he puts him to sleep and he completes his work and boom, there's woman. He presents the woman to the man and he falls in love. You know, as he establishes the church, the spirit, it tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, as he establishes the church, the Holy Spirit gives and enables gifts and enables people as he sees fit. He puts them together as he sees fit so that these gifts are, are intertwined and, and interdependent. Sure, there needs to be a guy or a, or a group of guys leading the church and, and, and pushing ahead. There needs to be a person driving the boat. But there needs to be someone making sure the gas is there, that the life vests are on board, that the person you're towing isn't falling off their skis. You know, we need people serving one another. They, they, they emphasize the, the pulpit ministry. They establish shared leadership or further shared leadership. They establish roles of service within the church. And they exemplify the importance of mercy ministries. You see, if they had just said, you know what? Yeah, we know they need to be fed. Just grab some guys and just make sure they get their food. Somebody make sure they get their food. Then we could see that maybe they didn't think it was too important. Oh, yeah, we want to know they're getting their food, but who really cares who's doing it, right? But they were actually very specific about what they expected of their leadership, about the people who were doing the work. They had qualifications. They had expectations of these people. In fact, character was number one, really. We often look at people and look at their, their abilities and say, oh, man, that guy's very charismatic, and I think he'll be a good leader. Forget that he's a drunk. I think he'll attract people. Forget that he doesn't know Scripture from the best-selling book on the market. You know, forget that. People will like him. He'll be a magnet. Let's put him up in front. And character, character is important. Establishing and understanding that, that, this, that this is important begins to help us understand how important the apostles thought that this mercy ministry was. If it wasn't important, they could have just let anybody do it. But because it was so important, they ensured that the best of the best were leading it. You see, that's one of the things, as, as we form and build this church, that's one of the things that we, uh, I, I, I'm demanding in the vision, is that we care for one another, that we find ways to meet one another's needs. I found out this morning that one of our members, their basement's flooded and, and all kind of things are taken out and we, we don't know yet exactly what, the, what the, the fix is for that or what needs to be done. But you can be sure that we're going to find out 
And we're going to look for ways to meet that need and to help that person out. I mean, the reality is, it's not every burden that we carry demands help. There are some burdens, light burdens, that we need to carry on our own. You need to suck it up and you just need to push forward. That's, that's what we're called to do in Christ. But there are some burdens that are too heavy to carry on our own. Mercy ministry is absolutely important. And it starts within the body. These people were believers. They had been connected to one another in Christ. We can't ignore our own. And we can't look outside and say, we're going to fix all their problems and ignore our own. We can't do that. Sure, we want to take care of people. We want to see people's needs met. But it starts right here. It starts within the body. You see, the reality is it's a beautiful picture is that this is a body. And as it's established, as, as it's grown, we all need to be playing our part. Let me, let me just share this with you. Heartburn sucks. It sucks. If you've ever experienced it and you've ever felt it, it sucks. It hurts. And when, it, when it's gone, going on and going wrong, I'm miserable. I experience heartburn quite often. I like my food. I enjoy spicy food. It doesn't enjoy me. But I enjoy it. And so I have to do something about it. The reality is, is that when the body's not working together right, when, when we're not depending on one another, when we're not helping one another, when we're not demonstrating mercy to one another, when we're not, when we're not stepping up and sharing leadership together and taking initiative together to, to, to live life together, when we're not stepping up and fulfilling the role that God's given us to fulfill, when the leadership isn't leading Life in the body begins to fall apart. And body life sucks. It's not all that it was cracked up to be. But when I do my part, and you do your part, and we stand together unified, we not only see one another ministered to, but we stand as an evangelistic testimony to the world around us. Ephesians, or, or Acts 2, the, the body was committing to one another. They weren't even looking out yet. They weren't even thinking about what was out there yet necessarily. And God added to their number daily. And they were focusing inward. They were living life together. They were depending on one another. Acts 4 is the same story. They're depending on one another. They're taking care of one another's needs. And the world around them is looking in and they find favor. And people are seeing, man, it's different. There's something new. There's something special. I want to be a part of that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, is Peter's talking to a church that is dispersed across southern Asia. It's all spread out and this letter is carried from local congregation to local congregation. He tells them that the end of all things is near. There's urgency here. The end of all things is near. Love one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. That helps us understand that, hey, you know what? You're going to make the person sitting next to you. If you spend any amount of time together, you're going to make the person next to you mad. It's going to be difficult to deal with at times. You're going to get irritated with one another. But love one another. Because it covers that stuff up. All of those little irritating and, and hard things to deal with in other people. You know, because we're really all perfect, right? When we look at ourselves, it's so easy to see the perfect one. 
And maybe not all of you feel that way. But the reality is, is when we look at others, it's very easy to see their flaws. It's very easy to see those negative things. Love covers those things up. It helps us live life together, stay connected together. But then he goes on to talk about spiritual gifts. And then in verse 10, he says that as we share in our spiritual gifts and live this way and share this way, God's grace is seen in its various forms. For whatever reason, God has chosen to work through us. And he's given us an opportunity to share his grace with others. You've experienced his grace. Others can experience it through you. As we live together. And see, the reality of this passage, and I I think that the importance of this passage is recognizing distractions. Finding those things that aren't just diversions for a short time, but that are totally distracting us and removing our focus to something else. Removing our focus from the mission of God. Which is here we define not just as missions or evangelism, but in seeing the body connected and growing together. The mission of God is not simply to evangelize, but it's to connect, to restore. His, his mission is, is so much more than just seeing people saved. His mission is seeing them grown. It's seeing them sanctified, seeing them cleansed and connected with other believers, depending on one another, demonstrating his grace in his various forms so that he can be seen and therefore bringing glory and honor to him. You see, that's the mission of God. It may start with evangelism, but it doesn't stop the day you get saved. And so anything that distracts us or removes our focus is is, is a distraction from that. And I think it's a dangerous thing. Some of these things, you know, like Netflix, oh, that doesn't seem like such a bad thing. Well, if all you do is sit at home and watch Netflix, maybe it's not even Netflix. Maybe it's after you get off work, you go home and you don't talk to anybody. Maybe you don't even know your neighbors. Maybe you don't talk to anybody in your church. Maybe maybe you're not connected in any way. No, you're not serving one another. All you're doing is soaking up the service. You've been distracted. By something very simple. In some cases, I think these, these, these distractions, they, they may seem unconsequential. They may seem like they're not that big of a deal. But they can be very dangerous. I came across an um, article this week on the Resurgence uh, blog. I don't, if you've not uh, read anything from the Resurgence I would encourage you to find it. It's a blog done by Acts 29, and it's, there's a lot of good resources. But I came across an article that I think kind of illustrates this very well. It's actually an article that was uh, being commented on by someone on the Resurgence. The name of it is Save Jesus, Ignore Easter. It's by a guy named Eric Reese who says he's lost his faith. He was raised by Christians, America, uh, by, by uh, Baptists, I believe is what denomination he said they came from. But now he doesn't believe in the resurrection. And he wants to take Jesus and all of his teachings and ignore the cross and the resurrection. And it says, he says this in an article that's in the Washington Post. <clears throat> God may have struck down Paul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and turned him into the world's first Christian. Well... He wasn't the world's first Christian, so not to pick him apart, but that's, he's already wrong. But unlike the conversion experience, I found that losing faith is not a cataclysmic event. It's more like watching a mist rise off a river in the morning. You can't say exactly when it disappeared, but you know it's gone for good. 
Oh, here he says, my father and grandfather were Baptist preachers. I spent the first 18 years of my life in the compulsory service of the church and the next 18 years trying to extract myself from its long tentacles. After that, I spent a few more years writing a book about losing faith and searching for something to replace it. Now, he goes on to say a few more things. I wanted to give you that kind of for the context. But this is the point of his article. The fact is, American Christianity has historically been focused so obsessively on the Nicene Creed, which says Jesus was the Son of God who was crucified for our sins and rose from the grave three days later, that it never made much room for the actual teachings of this radical Jewish street preacher. This is why I'm against Easter. It celebrates the death of Jesus nearly to the exclusion of his life. If the Easter miracle can save us from this life, then why bother with the harder work of enacting the kingdom of God here? It is, after all, much harder. The sad truth is, and this article reflects this, that we live in the midst of a generation that has been distracted. We've bought into lies like preachers standing up and saying that you can have your best life now. You can have it all now as if the world has anything of worth or lasting peace that, that, that it can give us or offer us of, of anything that is of any eternal value. As if having a job that pays me six figures is going to really satisfy me. Look at the upper crust of our society. They're broken. Many of them, most of them, they are not satisfied and they can have anything this world offers. Look around at the, at the headlines of these people's lives. They're shattered. The money doesn't help them. The stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't fix them. The notoriety doesn't make them feel better. In many ways, it just breaks them further. You know, we, we aren't going to have our best life now. This is earth. And it comes with struggle and pain and trial and tribulation that shapes us and molds us and sanctifies us and cleanses us. And gives us much to look forward to in the day that will come. In which we will be healed. And all of our problems will be gone. And the tears will be no more. And the pain and suffering of this life will be gone. The light and momentary troubles that we experience here are real. But they are not all we have to look forward to. Your best life is to come. In Christ. That's the hope. Get rid of Easter. Forget Easter. Just, just have the teachings now. Well, we studied that last week, didn't we? Without Easter, it's nothing. It's all for nothing. Religion saves. That's another lie. If you can just be good enough. You know, if you go to enough church services, enough Bible studies, if... If you do enough good works, enough mercy ministries, if you just do all of these works, then, then you're going to be able to stand up before God and say, look at me, God. Here am I. You don't have to send me because I've already done it for you. I've measured up to your law. I've done all you expected me to do. You've got to take me now. You see, we bought into these lies. We've been distracted by these lies and, and man they come out of preachers mouths and, 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 and it sounds so good and so tempting and pleasing because we do want to measure up we, we want to look at ourselves and say we're good people we want our best life now we want these things to be true but they're lies and they distract us the most important message that we could ever 
here and here again and again and again is that you have been bought and paid for. That Jesus Christ did die on the cross in your place for your sins and three days later he rose from the grave. You see, in, our, in, in, in getting caught up in these distractions, in losing sight of the truth, in giving up on these things, we, we, we have lost sight of the beauty of the gospel message. Yes, it's difficult to hear. Apart from Christ, I'm a worm who deserves condemnation. That is a tough sell. It's difficult to tell people. It's difficult to listen to. It's difficult to consider about myself, but it's the truth. But if we ignore that, we will miss the beauty of the gospel. You have hope because God loved you and had mercy on you. The God who created the entire earth, who put it all together and holds it together. He came and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. And he experienced our suffering and he felt our pain. And he suffered for us. You see, the beauty of the gospel is, is that he didn't leave us to ourselves. But that he came to get us. And if we buy into these distractions and, they, and when we remove our eyes from the truth, then, then we buy into a lie. And we diminish the, the, the cost of the cross. And we diminish the power of the cross. And we diminish the worth of the cross. And maybe your distraction is, is not something like that. Maybe, maybe you understand the truth and you, and you get it and you're living for it. But, but the, the truth is, is that there's things that distract us. There's things that steal our attention from him. Maybe it's a low view of yourself. Maybe it's some idea that you aren't the person he's making you to be. You see, we don't stay in the dirt and filth because in Christ we are new creations. He has made us new and he has given us great ability and he is equipping us for his work that we might demonstrate his grace in physical and tangible ways. You see, we're not that old person anymore. We're being made clean. We are made new in Christ and we can stand in that. We can recognize that. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to recognize the work that he's done in us and give him glory for it. He might use us for his work and, and in his power. I mean, what if the apostles had said, oh, we're not worthy, we're never stepping out, we're not going to do these things? What if Peter had never stood up on Pentecost and preached to these thousands of people? What if he had just ignored the work that God had done in him? It would be a pretty quiet service, wouldn't it? There'd be no reason to get together. God's chosen to work through us. Maybe, maybe you think, oh, there's no way I can learn this stuff. There's no way I can know it. Man, I'm just an average dude. About 10 years ago, I knew nothing about what the Bible said. I didn't have any understanding of what it taught. And today, I have some. I have some knowledge. I have some understanding. I have some ability to communicate it. Maybe I'm not as good as, as the Mark Driscolls and the Matt Chandlers. Maybe, maybe I'm not as compelling as some of the theologians that are out there that, that just break it down and bring us great truth like Tim Keller in, in just nuggets, you know. just Here's, here's the soundbite that gives you this theology that, that, that just blows everybody's minds. You know, maybe I'm not that guy. But I recognize what God's done in me. 
And I recognize he's given me something to say, so I stand up and I preach it. I struggle with distractions. But mine aren't because I stand in that place and won't move out of that place that I don't believe God can do a thing in me. My distractions are because there's things in my life, there's, there's things that, man, it'd just be easier. It's easier not to study and prepare for a message. I'm just going to tell you it's the truth. It's easier not to spend 10 or 20 hours a week pouring over the scripture, praying for God to enlighten me. It's easier. It's easier just to sit at home and watch Netflix. And that is easy. Click, there's my next show. It's easier. You see, I struggle with the distraction of of the things that this world has to offer. The entertainment. But I recognize it's a distraction. And I have to fight against it. What's your distraction? What are you being distracted by? What is pulling you away from the truth of the gospel and, and, and the mission of God and leading you to ignore it? What is your distraction? Let's call that distraction what it really is. What's your idol? What are you in some way loving more than you love Jesus? Is it your money? Security? Approval before people? What is it? You see, we're all distracted. But we've got to learn to deal with these distractions in a godly way. There is something that's stealing your attention away from the gospel. From the mission that God's given you to do. Repent. Turn back to Christ. Hear his call. I had no idea we were going to sing a song today about sending us. Isaiah wasn't so much an evangelist as a preacher to his people. We like that verse for missions. You know, we want to send people across the oceans. He was being sent to his people to preach the truth of God. How might God be sending you to this people? To the city of Springfield? How are we being distracted? It's obvious that this guy, Eric Reese, didn't like Jesus. He didn't like Jesus because he didn't like everything about Jesus. The story is, is that the truth is we can't take one part and not the other. Obviously, we need to recognize the example he set. We need to hear his teachings, and we're called to obey them. But at some level, you know, if we're not heeding his teaching and only focusing on the cross, then we're still being distracted. His cross, his resurrection, it proves his teaching true. He's called us to go. He's called us to love one another as he's loved us. He's called us to humble ourselves. He's called us to baptize one another, baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He's he's called us to, to, um, to serve one another as he served us. Those things are right and true and worthy of doing. 
because he's our Savior. And we can focus on the gospel, but we can't ignore his teachings. And we can focus on his teachings, but we can't focus on the work of the cross and the resurrection. This week I was watching a video, and I'll just let me share this with you in closing. I was watching a video, and it's, um, there was a, uh, I don't even know what you call it, a, a conference recently called The Elephant Room. And all of these pastors from different perspectives, I love it because these guys, some of them are seeker sensitive, some of them are Arminian, some of them are Calvinist. They're getting together. They got all these different views about how we should do church and what we should do church. But every one of them loved Jesus. And they're united in the gospel. And they got together and talk about these issues. And if you want to see some of the videos, uh, you can go to theverticalchurch.com or .org. I can't remember which one. But Vertical Church, it's, a, it's James McDonald's blog. And he's been sharing these clips and videos. And this one, this week, Mark Driscoll is talking with, I want to say Greg Laurie, but I can't remember exactly. And he says this. He says, you know what? In many of our churches, we've become gun collectors and not soldiers. We love the gun. We, we, we got this beautiful gun, and then we hang it on our wall. And we never take it down and shoot it. But we've been called to be soldiers. The gun is the gospel. It is a beautiful gun. It shines. It glimmers. It's beautiful. But guns weren't meant to be collected. They were meant to be shot. So how are you going to shoot the gun of the gospel this week? Who are you going to shoot with it? Is it going to be somebody in the church? Somebody in your neighborhood? Somebody where you work? The truth is, is that in all, it all happens all too often. We love to collect it. We love to admire it. We love to adore it. But we're oftentimes afraid to use it. The reason that Eric Reese wrote this article is because we're churches are full of people who want to love Jesus, but don't want to follow him on his mission. What's keeping you from following him on his mission? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the gospel. We are grateful for the truth that tells us that we are made new through your sacrifice, the, the, the suffering of your son, the work of the cross, the, the power of the resurrection. We are thankful that we are not left in our sins, but that we have the hope of life. We are thankful that we are blessed with the ability to do ministry. Sometimes that is a scary thing, God. Sometimes we don't really know how to do it or, or what to do. But God, I pray that, that as we hear these words, that we would not only recognize the distraction in our life, but that we would see the way forward. Your word tells us, God. Your word tells us that, that, that it does not only provide correction, or it doesn't only provide rebuke telling us what's wrong, but it also provides correction. It gives us the wrong thing and then tells us the right way to go. Help us hear your truth. And as we turn from that thing that we're being distracted by, God, help us see the right way to go. Father, I pray that as we sit here today, 
and consider whether we're admirers of the work of Christ, the teachings of Christ, or whether we're admirers of the cross, that you would help us reconcile those, that you'd help us put them back together the way they belong, and that if we are only adorers of the gospel but not followers and users of the gospel, that you would call us to repentance, that you would help us see what is distracting us, that we might turn from it and turn solely and only to you, moving on the mission you've given us to do. Thank you, Father, for doing this work in us and among us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we come to a place where we respond. We're given an opportunity to respond. For those of you that are visiting with us today, the larger song set is done at the end in response to the proclamation of God's word. So we're going to sing. We're going to worship God. If there's things that you need to pray about or you're struggling with and you want someone to pray with you, even if you're a visitor, if you don't know anybody in this room, come and get me. I'm telling you, the places I've been in my life, I can't look at you and think hard or, 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 or um, negative, negatively towards you. The things that you struggle with, I can guarantee you I have some ability to understand. I will pray with you. I will stand with you. I will, I will encourage you to walk in the right way. If you know someone and you're struggling, I, I would encourage you to, to ask them, hold you accountable. Figure out the thing that's distracting you in your life. Sit and just consider. Listen to the words of the songs. Think of the passage that we've read and consider what God is doing in you. And when you're ready, you respond in the way that he's leading you to do it. No matter what it is, if it means taking steps to do something different in your life outside this room, then do it. If it means figuring out a way that you connect more deeply with the, with the group of believers that gathers here, then let us know. We'll, we'll help you figure that out. If it means that, that you go home and, and, and you get rid of something out of your life because it's distracting you, go home and throw it away. Whatever that means, respond to him as he leads. Thank you.